0: Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Well, it's 1944, and Ava Kor and her twin sister, along with their family, were arrested and taken to the prisons of Auschwitz. When they arrived, Ava and her twin sister were then separated from their families and placed in a separate location of the camp where they would be experimented on for the next year. Ava tells us that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, her and her sister would be placed into a room, stripped naked, measured from head to toe, and compared to each other. She tells us that on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, Her and her twin sister would be placed into another room where they would be tied down by their wrists and ankles to a chair. In the left arm, blood would be drawn out and into the right arm, a minimum of five injections would be placed into them. Ava says for the next few months, she began to grow weak and began to have a fever. And one day when they were being measured, the doctor noticed that she had red blemishes all over her body. And when he took the temperature, he in that moment declared she was dying. And so he sent her to the hospitals in Auschwitz where she would live out the remainder of her days. When she got there, she saw other children just as sick as she was, if not worse. And even more, she saw bodies piled up waiting to be disposed of. And Ava knew in that moment she could not die because her twin sister was left all alone. So for two weeks, Ava fell in and out of consciousness, trying to fight for her life. And after two weeks, she was released to go back to being a guinea pig. What she did not realize in that moment was if she were to have died, her twin sister would have been killed as well. They would have been dissected and their organs would have been compared to each other. Well, good morning, that sounds like a terrible story to start off with, but there's a point to it. My name is Stephen Frosto, and I'm the fusion assistant here at the church, but I'm also an intern for Pastor Cat and Discipleship. Many years ago, I attended Element Church, and I called it my home, but that was before we owned this building, it was way when we worshiped in the movie theaters a long time ago. But I moved away to Chicago for about 10 years where I got my bachelor's and master's in biblical studies at Moody Theological Seminary. And I'm standing before you today, fulfilling a dream of mine to be preaching to my brothers and sisters in my home church. So thank you for letting me But to go back to our horrible story In 1945, the twins were liberated with 180 other twins. And when Ava got out, she realized that her parents were killed. And so she went to live with her aunt. And her aunt's whole goal was to get them back on track and to forget about the atrocities that had happened to them. And so Ava went to school. And as she got older, her and her twin sister decided to move to the great liberated land of Israel that was just set free for the Jews. And she thought life would be different, but internally, Ava struggled with hate, and bitterness, and confusion, and anxiety. But it was there she fell in love with a man who was an American citizen and a Holocaust survivor. And he saw the pain she was going through, so he thought, why don't we move to another great land, move back to America, and just start fresh. And so she agreed, and she moved and bought a beautiful home and had two beautiful children but the feelings of hate and anger and bitterness inside of her continued to grow. Her own beautiful home that they bought was being vandalized by American citizens in her neighborhood with swastikas and racial slurs. The anger inside of her was so great that she even attacked other moms verbally for decorating Easter eggs because in her mind they were wasting food. Ava saw what was happening inside of her the depression, the hatred, the fear. But it doesn't stop there. Her sister began to grow ill where she later died, and, and Ava found out she was getting sick, so when she went to the doctors to find out what was going on, they had no solution for her because they had no idea what the Nazis had pumped into her system. Again, hatred, fear, and depression fear filled Ava. Now, we in the world might say she has a right to feel the way she feels. I mean, she just lived through the greatest atrocities that this generation has ever seen. Her neighbors hate her, so why should she not push herself away from people? Why should she not forgive and just continue to hate? And though the world may be right, the truth is we live in an upside-down kingdom as followers of Christ. I've titled my sermon, The Upside Down, because Christ is calling us to live in a kingdom that he has declared his own. And as we look through the eight beatitudes that we've been reading over the last three weeks, we see Christ calls us to live completely opposite of the world. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, I I thank you for this opportunity to be standing before my brothers and sisters. I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, Father God, are are your words and your words alone. I pray that our ears would be ready to listen, that our hearts would be receptive, Father God, and that we would not leave here the same, but that we'd be transformed by the renewal of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Be with us today in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you do not own a Bible, feel free after service to stop by guest services out in the lobby and we would love to give you a free Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, you're more than welcome to use the YouVersion app on your phone and follow through my sermon notes or the Bible passages will be placed on the screens next to me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, and it says this, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for their righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over the last three weeks, we've been going through what we call the Beatitudes in scriptures. Christ is getting ready to set up his kingdom here on earth, and he has gained a following already. And he's realizing that people are desiring to do exactly what he wants, but he doesn't want them just to walk into the kingdom blindly. And so what he does is he creates a sermon. And if you have time this week, I encourage you to read from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7 because it's the full sermon of Christ. But he lays out the very part of the first of his sermon on what it looks like to have attributes of a follower of Christ. This is what a follower should look like and behave. Now, if you're like me, as you go through the list, you begin to realize the further down the list you get, the harder it seems to get. And I hate to break it to you, today is no different. I actually think the two verses that we will cover today are actually the two hardest in the Beatitudes because it goes against everything that human creation says is right. Yet Christ says, this is how I want you to live. Christ understands the cost at what he's asking us. He understands the challenges So much so, at the end of his sermon in Matthew chapter 7, he tells us this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Christ doesn't say that it's completely impossible to be his follower, but he does say that there will be many who choose not not to do it because it is difficult. We, we may look at it this way. We, we were born in the great country of America, were we not? We understand what it means to be an American citizen. We vote, we pay our taxes, we fly our flag, we sing our anthem with pride. It was just instilled into us. But for those who come to America from another country, they don't just get to become citizens. They have to go through a very long process, studying tests, taking tests, and and making sure they have the right answers to become an American citizen. And when they do, we praise them and encourage them, and we're so proud of them, but we realize you can't just become a citizen. This is the same for the kingdom of God. Christ welcomes all into his kingdom. Everyone is welcome, but there are ways to live within his kingdom. And he understands that it is difficult and not all people will want to do it. So our verse, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. This is where we're going to spend most of our time today in our sermon, because I feel that this is something that the church, not just element church, but the church of America really struggles with. So I want to ask three questions on this verse. And the three questions are, what is peace? What is a peacemaker? And who are the sons of God? So what is peace? Maybe to some of us, peace is curling up on the couch in a blanket and and reading a good book. I know that's what I like to do on my time off. Maybe to others, it's going out to a coffee shop and hanging out with some friends and catching up and just realize you are loved and valued. By the people in your community. Maybe that's peace. But maybe for many of us, peace is after a long, chaotic day where we finally get to put the kids to bed and close the door and fall back in the couch and just breathe in the silence around us. Maybe that's peace. And though those may be peaceful moments, I, I wanna argue that that's not the peace that Christ is talking about. Whenever we read scripture, we need to take out our preconceived ideas, our feelings on what we already know, and go back to the original audience. So who is the original audience? Well, these are pre-New Testament believers, okay? We as New Testament believers understand what Christ did on the cross, yet they don't understand that yet. Jesus is new. And so whether Jesus spoke Aramaic or, or Hebrew, they would have understood a word And this word is shalom. But what is shalom? In the ancient Israel and current Israel, shalom is a, a form of greeting, it is to bless one another. And a Jewish person would have understood shalom as a part of the sacrifice you would give for peace to the Lord. But at the root of it, shalom is that you wanted the very best for the other person, the very best. So when we take this Old Testament idea of peace, and we as New Testament believers understand what our peace is, as it says in Romans chapter 5, verse one, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We as believers understand that Christ died on that cross for us, that through his death, we were reunited with God the Father. And because of that, we have peace. So to understand what peace is, we have to understand the gospel first. And the truth is, the the gospel is bad news before it becomes good news. And what I mean by that is to truly understand the gospel, you must know that our relationship with God is completely severed and broken, and there is nothing we can do to fix it. But, and I love that word. Whenever I see that word in Scripture, I get excited because I knew something else is coming. And Scriptures say, but Jesus came and he died for us and he reconciled that peace between us and the Father. So then, what is peace? Peace is that all things are right in the enjoyment and celebration of God's favor. When we understand the gospel, both the bad and the good parts of it, we are able then to enjoy life no matter the circumstances that come our way. Because we know that death is not the end, that we have eternal life with God the Father. And through pain and misery and sorrow that may come our way, because the Bible doesn't promise to protect us, we will face the trials of this world. In the midst of it, we get to celebrate God's favor because of what Christ did for us. So what is a peacemaker? Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, And with his wounds, we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus came from heaven, just like the good old Christian song, when he came from heaven to earth, Christ brought peace. Christ brought peace. And so a peacemaker then begins to understand that Peace is understanding that their debt has been paid. And because of that, a peacemaker is actively trying to bring about the same goodness and wholeness that Christ Jesus brought into our lives. Romans 4.19, it tells us, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Church, when we begin to realize what Christ has done for us, we began to realize that we are swimming in the abundance of goodness and forgiveness of Christ's death. Can I get an amen on that? Because it's amazing. But we cannot be the consumeristic nation and kingdom that we're taught to be. We cannot hoard on to the abundance of goodness and forgiveness. No, we have to share it because it's so good. We want others to know about God's goodness and forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20 tells us, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, because Christ died for you and for me, we then take on the same form of love and peace and reconciliation that Christ gave to us and the Father. We do not get to escape forgiveness, we don't get to escape love. If anything, Christ takes it to a further level and says, you must love, you must forgive, you must be reconciled with your brothers and sisters in Christ's kingdom. He calls us to be an ambassador of Christ. Well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who works for the king. He does whatever the king wants him to. And for us, the king is King Jesus. And King Jesus has sent us out to represent exactly who he is, and he is the God of peace. He is the God of reconciliation, because that's exactly what his death was meant for. So because we are to be ambassadors of peace, an ambassador of Christ, a representative of reconciliation, a peacemaker does not stir up conflict. A peacemaker does not make problems. So look in your life. Would people say that you're a peacemaker at work? A peacemaker at home? Maybe a peacemaker in the church? Or are you someone that's constantly complaining? Someone that's constantly arguing with people? Someone who's constantly in a battle of hate with people? Because a peacemaker is to be an ambassador for Christ. So then what is a peacemaker? A peacemaker knows that their debt is gone, taking on a role as the ambassador and a minister of reconciliation. This leads us to our final question. Who are the sons of God? Now, there's probably many women sitting in here today saying, why is the Bible always so focused on men? Women not matter. Well, the truth is, during this time period, it was a male-dominated world. We can't help that. And so, this term was probably a male-dominated term within the temple. But what's super cool is, when Christ is doing this sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's really not a mountain. It's kind of a tiny hill, actually. But Christ is on the side of a hill, and there's probably a cave right behind him so that he can echo to a large crowd that's listening. And when he says, the sons of of God, he's proclaiming it to the masses, to the crowds in front of him. And it's in this moment, the most amazing thing I think of the gospel is that Christ includes all people. Men, women, children, it doesn't matter your sex or your race, God says, if you choose to follow me, you get to be a part of my kingdom. When we look at this verse, we might think, well, if I'm a peacemaker, then I guess I get to be a son of God, I get to claim that title. But is that true? We know that Christ himself says the only way to God the Father is through himself. So we have to believe in Jesus. Paul tells us that it's through our faith and faith alone that we are justified through Christ. We know that Abraham was deemed righteous simply because of his faith. So no, we cannot become a son of God by being a piece. Maker, That's through faith and faith alone. So what is Christ saying in this passage? Well, what I think he's saying is when we're out in the world and we're living peaceful lives and and we're forgiving and we're reconciling to all of those around us who have hurt us, they've talked bad about us, they destroy our reputation, whatever it may be, there is no limit to reconciliation with God. Whatever someone has done to you and wronged you, you are obligated to forgive. But when the world sees that you've done that, Christ is saying the world will say he's a son of God. She's a son of God because they're a peacemaker. But even more so, what I get even more excited about is one day when I get to stand before God, my father, and he looks at me and he says, you are my son because I see the peacemaking inside of you. How beautiful is that? My most favorite passage in all of Scripture is John chapter 17. And Jesus is right at his final hour. Throughout all the New Testament, it says, his hour has not yet come. And what he means by that is the moment of his death, the moment of his trial and crucifixion. But in this very moment, the start of this chapter, it says, Christ's hour has come and he knew he was about to die. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know I was going to about to die, I probably would be making sure I get my last stake, you know, talking to the people who I want to talk to that make me feel good. But that's not what Christ did. John chapter 17 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If I cry, I'm sorry, because this passage really gets me. What is Christ saying Christ isn't praying for his disciples that are following him right there in that moment. Christ isn't even praying for the hundreds of people that have been following him for the last three years of his ministry. What Christ is praying for is he's standing on the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem and he looks up to God and he says, God, I pray for Stephen. God, I pray for Element church. And why does he care so much about me before he goes to die? And it's because he realizes that in the moment we decide to love each other the way that God loves his own son, which let me tell you, that is a perfect triune love. It has never been partaken of throughout all of eternity, yet Christ says, I want you to partake in this love with me. And I want you to have that with your own brothers and sisters in the church. But what's even cooler in this passage is that Christ says, "In your unity and in your love and in your reconciliation for each other, the world will believe that God the Father has sent me." Church, is your love for the people around you declaring the glory and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or is the way you treat people pushing people further and further away from the greatest kingdom? eternity has ever known. Jesus calls us to love. So what is a son of God? A son of God loves and forgives to the point of death. The whole point of the kingdom of God is Jesus came to bear witness to true truth, which is non-violent when God wants to take charge of the world, he does not send in pickets to an abortion clinic. He does not deny making a cake for a gay couple. He does not blast confrontational message on politics, on who you voted for, for president on Facebook. This is not what God does when he sends us out into the world to bear witness to his truth. You want to know what God does do, though? He sends in the poor The mourning, the meek, the hungry, the pure ones, the merciful ones, and the peacemakers. All of which the world will come to hate because it's completely upside down from their reality. They will not understand why you are the way you are. And it's simply because you know the goodness and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5.10 tells us, Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution is not when we get our feelings hurt because someone on Facebook calls us a bigot. Or maybe CNN or Fox News tells us we're bad Christians because we wouldn't bake the cake for a gay couple. That's not persecution. That's actually the sin of your self-righteousness. Because the question is, what would Jesus really do in those moments? Well, if Jesus was willing to go to the cross for your sins, would he not love the people around us? Because our love for the very people who we think we need to be hating so that they can come to know Jesus is actually doing the complete opposite. So when you love the people whom Christ would love, then they will know that God sent Jesus and that he loves them too. Persecution is only blessed. This is what Jesus says, not me. Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted for their righteousness' sake. For their righteousness. The only form of persecution that this passage talks about that will be blessed is when you live righteously. When you live in such a way that represents who Christ is in Christ's kingdom. So why is this important? Why did Jesus start his sermon off with these eight attributes? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) At the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus jumps into probably one of the, the most famous passages that we probably know, and it's, you are the salt of the earth, you are a light into the world. But what does he mean by that? Well, to be the salt of the earth means you are preserving the gospel. You are preserving the truth of Jesus Christ. All your righteousness in Christ preserves what Christ has done for you so that you can give to others. But when we begin to live self-righteously and religiously and make up our own rules and become Pharisees, Jesus says that the only use for that salt is to be tossed on the floor and to be trampled on. So, where are you at today? Are you being the salt that should be preserving the gospel, or are we making it only good for under our feet? But Christ goes on to say, You are a light to the world. I'm sure this isn't any news to you, but we live in a pretty dark world, do we not? We're seeing all the wars and the chaos and the misery, even in our own country, just the chaos that we have. People are walking around so blindly looking for hope, but church, you are the hope. You are the light to the world, the light on a city hill that people can see and say, that's home, that's the kingdom that I long to live in. But if we're hating and bickering and causing quarrels, we're only feeding the darkness around us. So again, are you light of the world or are you feeding the darkness? Now back to our horrible story from the beginning. Ava's suffering with depression and anxiety and fear and hatred. And she realizes one day that one of the doctors who, form, who did all the experiments on her was living nearby. Well, what would you guys do? She did the same thing. She went and knocked on his door, and she wanted to confront him and get all these feelings out of her. And when she did, the door opened, and he greeted her and welcomed her in and fluffed the pillow on the chair and got her some hot tea, and and she became dumbfounded. How can a Nazi treat me like this? When she began to talk to him, he realized that she was hurt and he wanted to help fix it. And so she said, I think the only way to fix it is for us both to go back to Auschwitz and in front of everybody, forgive each other. Well, that's what they did. And when he arrived, she literally had a declaration of forgiveness. And she forgave him for everything that he did to her. Ava changed the world by this story because we realize when we let go of our hate, we're able to move forward. But church, when we learn to forgive in the name of Jesus, when we live right for the kingdom, can you imagine how greater our story will be, how more impactful it will be to this earth? Christ, at the end of his sermon, gives us two responses to his whole entire sermon. And he tells us this, those who listen and obey, they will take their faith and they will build it on a solid foundation. And so when the storms of life come, the foundation will remain strong and your faith will remain strong. But he says the second response to his teachings are, those who hear, they hear what he's saying, but they choose not to obey. Well, Christ says that they will take the little faith that they do have and they will build it on a rocky, soily foundation. And so when the storms of life come, it will tear the foundation down. It will destroy the faith. And Christ says that it will destroy it greatly. So where are you at today? Are you willing to take the step as believers and say yes to Jesus and look for those in our lives that we need to be reconciled with, that we need to forgive and love? Or are we choosing not to do that? If you're new to Element Church and you may not know Jesus yet, that's okay. But I want to give you guys an opportunity as well to be a part of the greatest kingdom eternity has ever had. Christ desires you so bad to be in his kingdom. He loves you. God the Father loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And through his death, you get all the blessings that Christ mentions. Sadly, if we're not followers of Christ, we don't get the blessings and that's a reality. But I want to offer that to you as well. But before we do that, I'm going to pray real quick to get our hearts focused on God and the band's going to come out and sing a song and then I will come and close us so if you would pray with me real quick gracious father I, I thank you so much for your word I thank you that you died on the cross for us that you reconciled our relationship with you father God I pray that during this next worship song that our hearts would meditate on you, Lord Jesus, and that we would be able to choose the answer that would most honor you. In your son's holy and precious name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.live. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.